Hi, and welcome back to The Psychology PhD, a podcast developed by grad students here in the Columbia University Psychology Department, where we discuss psych-focused grad programs. Once again, I'm Monica Tew, a rising fifth-year student here in our PhD program. This season, we're discussing the process of applying to PhD programs in experimental psychology. In our previous episode, the first of the season, we provided an introduction to the different types of psychology graduate degrees and what life in an experimental psych PhD program is like. If you're just jumping in here, we recommend checking out the previous episode as well. We've linked it in the show notes for easy access. Okay, so let's jump into the topic of today's episode, getting organized to apply to PhD programs in experimental psychology. Today, we're going to cover four main topics. One, how to know when you're ready to apply. Two, how to choose programs to apply to. Three, high-level timing of the application process. And four, finally, how to reach out to potential advisors. And as before, like all content on this podcast, please keep in mind that we are discussing US-based programs in particular. This information should apply to programs across the US, but it might not apply to programs in other countries. So if you're thinking about applying to a PhD program, you might be asking yourself questions like, am I ready? And how do I know when I have enough experience? Although you'll get different answers to these questions depending on who you ask, there are some general things to think about when assessing your own personal timeline. But before we dive into those details, it is worth noting that many people who are thinking about applying to grad school often experience imposter syndrome. While imposter syndrome isn't specific to people pursuing graduate school, it can seriously influence your feelings about applying. You might feel particularly unsure about whether a PhD program is right for you, or feel like you're not ready to apply even when others tell you that you are. While it's 100% normal to feel this way, these worries are often unfounded, I promise. For example, when I was applying to PhD programs a few years back, I was so nervous that all of my applications would be rejected, but luckily they weren't, so I'm here. And during the process, I met other applicants who seemed to me much more qualified than I was, but then when I got to know them, they all admitted to worrying about the same thing. It's okay to feel this way, but if you are interested in getting a PhD, I'd urge you to trust yourself and to not let these common feelings convince you not to apply. So with that out of the way, let's shift our discussion towards the kinds of objective considerations people often think about when determining whether they're ready to apply. As far as coursework goes, most experimental psych programs don't require that you major in psychology during undergrad. So if you're already close to or past graduation with a different major, don't worry too much. However, if you're choosing a major now, majoring in psychology can help for PhD programs in the sense that it does equip you with general psychology knowledge. If you didn't major in psychology and you are thinking about getting in those course requirements, you could consider a post-bachelor certificate, often called a post-bac for short, or a master's program, although these kinds of programs can be costly and aren't always necessary to apply. As an alternative, you might consider taking individual courses as a non-matriculated student at a local university or a community college, or take a course online. All that being said, your overall research experience in the field that you're interested in is more important than the specific courses that you have on your transcript. 
As I mentioned, your actual academic research experience, that is, your experience working in a lab at a university or a research institute, is the most important aspect of your application to an experimental psych PhD program. There is a whole lot to say about acquiring research experience, and we're planning to dedicate most of episode four to this topic. However, right now, we'll provide a bit of guidance in this episode as it pertains to determining whether or not you're ready to apply to a program. Schools often look for a minimum of a year and a half of research experience, but a general rule of thumb is that more is better here. The amount of research experience that you need generally depends on the quality of that experience. If you have more independent research experience, for example, if you wrote a thesis or conducted your own research project, then a year and a half is probably enough. Ideally, you want to be able to speak to what you personally did as part of a research project and what you have to show for it. This could include things like an independent research project that you did, a thesis that you wrote, a poster that you presented at a conference, a talk that you gave, or a publication that you helped write. You really want to be able to speak to specific skills that you've acquired as part of your research experience, such as experience running in lab studies, working with online or in-person survey and task software, coding, doing data analysis, and so on. So if you're sitting here now listening to this podcast thinking that you might still need more research experience and you've already graduated from college, in episode four, we'll discuss a variety of ways that you might be able to acquire such experience, including taking a volunteer research position or attending a post-bac, master's, or bridge to PhD program. So, once you feel like you've acquired enough research experience and you're ready to apply, how do you actually choose where to apply? What factors should you consider? First, have a concrete area of interest that you're looking to study in grad school. This shouldn't depend much on which specific schools you're applying to, but it might differ slightly from school to school based on how your research interests line up with those of faculty at the programs you're applying to. And if you're not yet certain what you want to study, we recommend getting an additional year or two of experience to figure this out. Second, think about where you're willing to live for the next five years or more. You will have a greater number of opportunities available if you're open-minded about location, but remember that liking where you live significantly adds to your quality of life during school. Grad school is hard enough as it is, so you wanna make sure that you feel comfortable in the place you're living. It's totally okay to apply only in specific cities for personal reasons, as long as you're comfortable with the trade-off between location preference and number of opportunities. Third, to identify potential advisors, you can look at important papers in your field of interest, the authors of that paper, and the other papers and the researchers that they cite. This is called following a citation chain, and it can help you get an idea of who does the specific kind of work that you'd like to do. Additionally, Explore the faculty members at universities within your location constraints and look at things such as what type of research methods do they use? What topics are their recent publications on? Do they currently have graduate students in their lab? If so, how many? And what are their ongoing projects in the lab? If possible, we would recommend trying to apply to programs where your research interests fit with at least two or three faculty members. And finally, take advantage of your network. You can gain valuable insight from people like your former and current colleagues, professors that you had a good relationship with, and academic advisors in your undergraduate program. 
share your research interests with them and ask for their guidance. Next, pay close attention to funding. A lot of programs are fully funded, meaning they pay all of your tuition and provide some sort of living stipend, as we discussed in episode one. However, as we mentioned in that episode, funding can vary widely across universities, especially the living stipend. We recommend that you consider whether summer funding is provided so that you'll be paid to work through the whole year and whether at least five years of funding is guaranteed. And don't forget the cost of living, as any given stipend will go much further in certain locations than others. Lastly, remember that big name schools are not always the best programs for what you want to study. There's no list of the top 10 best psychology PhD programs as there is for law school or med school or even undergrad. What's most important is finding a program and advisor that fit with your goals. Once you know that you're ready to apply and have a list of schools that you've selected to apply to, you might ask yourself, what does the timing of the application process look like? Like a lot of what we've discussed in this episode, this is going to vary based on where specifically you're applying, but the timeline is generally as follows. Applications are usually due between the end of November and the end of December. Interview requests are sent out from late December to early January. Then those interviews and prospective student visits happen at the end of January and continue through early March. And finally, admission offers can be sent from any time after the interview until about mid to late March. The official deadline to accept an offer of admission is April 15th, but you can accept early if you know where you wanna go. There's no need to wait. And to be crystal clear, at most psychology programs, only students who are invited to interview will be considered for admission offers. Other disciplines may do this differently, but this is how it usually works in our field. So knowing all of this, you might wonder whether and when you should reach out to potential advisors. It is normally a good idea to contact faculty you might be interested in working with to see if they're taking a grad student in the upcoming application cycle, as you don't wanna go through all of the work applying to a school if your potential advisor isn't even accepting students. They might also include this information on their lab's website, so we do recommend you check there first. However, if you do send an email, please be prepared to not always receive a response. Faculty members can be busy. This does not mean that they aren't interested in you or that they're not accepting students. And as far as when to reach out, any time around the end of summer or early fall is common. Sometimes people are slow to respond in the summer or they don't yet know if they will have funding to take on a new graduate student. But for me, when I applied, August was a good time to email. It can be difficult to know what to actually say to the person that you might be working with for five or more years in the future. While each email will be personalized to you and the faculty member that you're emailing, inquiry emails usually follow a template like this. Dear Dr. So-and-so, my name is, your name here, and I'm applying to psychology PhD programs this coming fall. I have worked with Dr. X, your current supervisor, at Y University, where you're currently working, for Z years, however long you've currently been there, studying, your broad research question here. Specifically, I am interested in exploring a greater description of your specific research question. I currently work as a, your job title goes here, doing 
a description of your relevant job duties. I'm interested in your lab's work on some relevant research that was recently published by the lab. For example, I enjoyed your recent paper showing a relevant key finding, and I'm curious about a follow-up research question that you might be interested in researching in the lab. Are you accepting PhD applicants for the coming fall semester? I have attached my CV for reference. Sincerely, you. And if you'd like to see specific examples, we've also linked to a collection of sample letters to potential advisors in the show notes. As a summary, generally, it's good to include the following information in your email. A little bit of information about your experiences and interests, how your interests intersect with the faculty members, and here it's important to show that you know what kind of work they do, and finally, an explicit question as to whether they're accepting new students. And it's also a good idea to attach your CV for reference. And for more information on creating your CV, please be sure to check out episode three, which will cover CVs and resumes. All right, to wrap up, today we've covered how you might get organized to apply to PhD programs in experimental psychology. In particular, we touched on four topics. How to know when you're ready to apply, how to choose programs to apply to, high-level timing of the application process, and how to reach out to potential advisors. We hope that this has been helpful to you. In our next episode of The Psychology PhD, episode three, we'll talk about developing CVs and resumes for program applications and anything else you might want to apply to. In episode four, we'll talk about acquiring research experience and requesting letters of recommendation from your research supervisors. In episode five, we'll talk about writing your statement of purpose for PhD applications. And in episode six, we'll talk about preparing for interviews with schools that you're applying to. And we'll be updating the show notes to include links to these different topics as soon as each new episode launches. You can find the show notes below this episode if you're watching on YouTube or in the show notes section of whatever podcast app you're listening on. To receive notifications when new episodes are released, subscribe to our YouTube channel or to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You're also welcome to join our email list to receive an email each time we release a new episode. And finally, if you found this content helpful, please consider liking the episode on YouTube or reading and reviewing the show in your preferred podcast app. We'll talk to you next time.